Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Hey, welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher, and thanks for joining us this weekend. We had the most wonderful conversation that we just got started into last week with a a wonderful guest on The Teacher and the Preacher. And you know, we're so fortunate, Harold and I are, to have special guests. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We always start the program like this. I'm the preacher, Dave McGarra. And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And yes, Moise Navone is joining us for a second broadcast. For those of you who were not with us last week, you can go to our website, teacherandthepreacher.com. All of our previous uh, broadcasts are archived and encourage you to listen to, uh, it was a fascinating interview with Moise, which we're going to get into even uh, more of what we talked about last week, uh, this week. For those of you who weren't with us, I'll just tell you a little about Moise briefly. Uh, Moise grew up in California, actually surfing. Uh, he today is uh, lives in Israel, and uh, he is a computer engineer by trade. He was one of the founding engineers of Mobileye, uh, which is an autonomous vehicle technology company now owned by Intel. Uh, he's the author of numerous hardware patents in the field of image processing and computer hardware. Uh, before Mobileye, Mo- Moise worked for notable companies such as IBM and NASA, as well as a number of Israeli startups. He holds a degree in computer engineering from UCLA, and Moise also is a rabbi, having received ordination from the Kazarab Yeshiva in Jerusalem. So, Moise, welcome again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I, I find that my pleasure. You, you're a fascinating person, and we. Uh, I just so have enjoyed this this opportunity to, to get acquainted with you a bit on on our program. We kind of left off last weekend talking about the ethical side of what uh, you know a driverless car uh, has to deal with. with uh, in regards to those who are manufacturing, putting the pieces together and and fixing this uh, car so that it it actually figures in some ethical pieces that, you know, this is totally off the radar of people who are going to buy a car. They have no idea the thought process that's gone into this and some of the wrestling matches, you know, it's either, you know, computer stuff or philosophical things in regards to how we want this thing to function. But to to then add this ethical piece to it in the arena of technology, I, I think that is totally uh, awareness-creating and mind-blowing when you think about the ethical dilemma. So why don't you just kind of whet the appetite of our listeners a little bit of kind of what we were talking about on our last program and bring them up to speed with the, this p- particular piece of our conversation. Okay. So we had, we had mentioned that there's this uh, famous trolley problem where, where a driver of a trolley is, is confronted with a dilemma of either passively running over five people 
or actively switching tracks and ending up running over another person. And, um, and, and like I mentioned uh, in your previous show, that, that an autonomous vehicle could be confronted with such a, with such a dilemma. I, I would like to say that you know, the, it's probably incredibly remote that such a dilemma would happen. It's remote that even, it even happens with human drivers. It will probably be even far more remote when, it, for when autonomous vehicles are driving because they're all going to be programmed to know what's happening one second in front of them and five miles away, and, and, and there's all kinds of sensors. And so um, we could conjure some kind of a scenario where, where something unexpected happened and, and dropped the car into this kind of trolley dilemma. And uh, therefore, the car does need to be programmed for it, but I would like to to sort of calm listeners' nerves that, that, that this is what the cars are going to have to do, deal with on a daily basis. Um, so that should be said. And nevertheless, they, like I said, they, 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 these ethical dilemmas do need to be thought about, and the car does need to be programmed to deal with them in, what, in some way. Um, what we had spoken about before is that, is that in, in Jewish literature, and I'm referring to you know the Talmud and also um, rabbinic decisors over the generations, they've dealt with these kinds of dilemmas where you're, you're, you save one person or another, you save one person, you, you, you sacrifice one person to save a group. Um, the, 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 the classic scenario of one against one is a, is a woman in labor and it seems like the baby is going to either, either the baby is going to live or the mother's going to live. And so what should the doctors do? Should they intervene and, and, and kill the baby to save the mother or vice versa? And uh, I mean, in, in, in the Gemara itself, so it says that once the baby's head is out, so it's a full-fledged life. And so you, we, we cannot play God. We cannot decide between life and life. And you just let things go their natural course. Um, and so this is a, this is a fundamental uh, scenario which can help us to decide things like the one against one um, tunnel problem that I had mentioned where, where either the driver's going to be killed or the person on the road is going to be killed. You can't really um, take a life to save a life if the both lives are equal. Um, and then I mentioned also that even once we resolve somehow this question about a human driver having to decide between one and one or five and one, whatever it is, um, things change when you look at it from a computer perspective because a computer isn't actually being confronted um, and all of a sudden have to decide. A computer is being programmed years before it will ever be confronted with such a situation. So it can actually take into account other things. And um, there's a group of rabbis in, in, a, in, a, in a small neighborhood just outside of Jerusalem called Ramot. Um, they're in, a, they're, they're in a, what's called this halacha, Jewish law and technology forum that they work under the auspices of a famous rabbi now named Asher Weiss. And they wrote a whole book on this where they propose that a computer really has the modus operandi of saving people. That's why this, we're making autonomous vehicles, because we want to save lives. I mean, today, the World Health Organization puts the number at 3,400. 3,400 people die on the roads every day. Every wow. day. Wow. And so, which is insane. And so autonomous vehicles are going to look to make that number, you know, as small as possible. I mean, I, I'm a great optimist, so I'll say zero, but it's not going to be zero, but with whatever, it's not going to be anywhere near in the thousands. 
and so the the modus operandi of, of autonomous vehicles is to save lives. And so if the modus operandi is to save as many lives, so then we can take that modus operandi and say, whenever there is some kind of conflict, we are trying to save as many lives. And so we are not programming the car to now actively kill the one in order to save the five. We are anyway always trying to save as many lives as possible. And so this sort of is a, is a kind of a different switch on, the, on, on your ethical perspective on how to deal with this dilemma. And so even though there's a, there's a lot of discussion about how a human driver would have to, because a human driver would actually have to turn the wheel and run over somebody. Uh, when you're talking about a computer, the computer has been programmed, like I said, years in advance to just save lives. And so there may be a different ethical perspective for the computer versus the computerized car versus the human-driven car. Very fascinating. So yeah. do car manufacturers, do you, do you think that they are giving thought to this or do they leave it up to to um, a group of Jewish uh, uh, spiritually aware people who who spend time with conversations right, like right. this. Okay. You yeah, know? That's, a, that's an excellent question. Yeah, it's an excellent question. Who, the question is, who is going to decide? Who is going to decide? So I counted, basically, there's five possible agents that could decide this question. It could be the programmer. He's the guy that's writing if, then, else. You know, if there's five over here, then turn the wheel there. Um, it could be the, the um, technology provider, meaning Mobileye, who's, who's selling the chips. It could be the car manufacturer, BMW, that's building the whole thing. Um, it could be the car owner, the guy who bought it, right? It's his car. It could be the government who's taking a third-party kind of look at things. Um, if you take a look at all of these agents, all of them have some kind of personal interest. Uh, the programmer, he basically has an interest in making his code as simple as possible and getting home as quickly as possible. So he's not really a good moral agent. Um, the, 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 the technology manufacturer, they're trying to make the cheapest chip, the smallest chip, which means the, the least amount of things that I have to deal with, right? So he's not a good a, a good moral agent. Neither is the car manufacturer who just wants to sell as many cars. Neither is the the car owner because he just says kill everybody and save me, um, unless he's you know an altruist. But in any case, um, it, that basically leaves us the government. And the government, you know, people sometimes have some kind of problems because governments, you know, may be corrupt or so. Well, I'm not talking about corrupt governments. I'm talking about a government that wants to do the best thing. And I'm sure, and not only am I sure, I know that today. There are um, committees where there are not just Jewish thinkers, but there are there are ethical thinkers, and there's people from all from all walks of life that are that have been trained in ethics and in philosophy, and um, those are the ones actually who are writing papers today and, and writing books about it, and and they're the ones who are trying to influence this field. Um, the question will be, you know, will the governments dictate it? Or will the car manufacturers, from what I understand, I know that the, the CEO of Mobile, I said, we are not going to make moral decisions. We will program the car. However, you know, the authorities that be tell us to, we can, we can program it one way, we can program it another way. It's up to how other, other people will tell us to do so. So let me ask you this, go back to your days when you were just getting your feet wet in this world of engineering, you were working for uh, NASA's. Jet Propulsion yeah. Laboratory. 
Do you think that this is a piece that uh, NASA thinks about when it's sending people into space and, and they, they look at the ethical side of things and start to think about what, what would happen if this scenario goes on and how are we going to get them back and, you know, those kind of things? There's, there has to be some level of exposure to that ethical side uh, as I think about it. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, um, I just today read about a woman who was at, at uh, MIT, and she's trying to introduce ethical courses alongside computer science courses. And so I don't know what NASA is doing today. I worked for them, you know, over 30 years ago, and uh, what I was working on there was image processing to do to do cancer detection in, in cells. I mean, basically, we're trying to also save the world in a certain aspect. Um, in, you, but you're asking a much broader question that I really ha- I really don't have the answer to. But I do. The only thing I can say is that there's definitely an awareness now about how much engineering impacts and is impacted by ethical dilemmas. So much so that, like I said, um, they they've already started introducing a whole series of courses, and they're trying to make sure that anybody that goes through the computer science department goes through at least a few courses of ethics as well. So, so there's definitely an awareness. How much is it in the field remains to be seen. So, Moise, uh, you know, yes. when people think uh, computer engineer, autonomous vehicles, rabbi, like it's not a typical uh, career tra- trajectory. Um, just curious, you know, were there things in your work at Mobileye that led you toward this? Was it, or was it just, a, you know, general uh, interest in Judaism? Um, I mean, look, my my interest in Judaism is has always been, you know, since I decided to start getting religious uh, when I was in college. Um, it's really, I think, it's driven by what um, Viktor Frankl wrote a whole book about, man's search for meaning. Um, you know, when I read that book, I really identified with it because it basically summed up what's been driving me. You know, the, Viktor Frankl said, you know, Freud said man is driven by the pleasure principle. And Adler said that man is driven by the power principle. And Viktor Frankl said both of those drives are subsidiary to the drive for meaning. Man is motivated by purpose. And I believe that that's really what's driven me um, to do all the things that I've done. Um, I've always tried to split my time uh, between my engineering and my philosophy slash religious pursuits. Um, I've always made time during my working day. Um, at Mobileye, I basically became what's known as the rabbi of Mobileye because I did so much in, in that realm um, while I was an engineer. I, I, you know, I organized the daily prayers in the afternoons. I gave a, a what's called a, a halacha yomit, which is basically a, some kind, some detail of Jewish law. Every day I would tell um, everybody that came to the prayer service, which is, by the way, probably between 50 to 75 people every day. Wow. Um, and then I gave, you know, and then I gave a weekly class to people who were not religious and religious, um, which was, I mean, it's pretty small, like maybe 20, 25 people max. But uh, in, in, in the scheme of things, that's a pretty well attended shiur a well-attended class. And so I gave this weekly class. Um, and then I also gave, uh, you know, when the, the, we had these annual toasts to the whatever holiday it was, so I always gave like a, a two-minute little idea about how the holiday was it, it was impactful in our lives. 
and which is not easy because when you're talking to, to 700 people where only 20% of them are, are religious, um, you have to be, keep yourself on your toes. You know? not I, love easy. That. I love that. It's amazing because, I mean, you don't, you know, I think probably just the average person doesn't think of a, a big technology company as having, uh, uh, I guess, a spiritual component. Correct. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I always um, try to, to, to integrate this sort of, you know, religious philosophical side of my life within my engineering side of my life. And then, um, you know, I worked for a company called NDS and there was a guy there. He was a VP of engineering. His name was Yossi Tsuriya. And he, because he was a VP, so he always got up and said some kind of what's called a Dvar Torah, some kind of philosophical, religious idea at all these events. And that became like my model. And so when I went to Mobileye, we were basically 20 people. And so the, the CEO said something. I said, oh, can I say something? He said, go ahead. And so that basically became part of the, the, the company ritual, as it were, that he, the CEO spoke and then I spoke. And then mm. when I became a rabbi, so he, made, he let me speak first and then he spoke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I found fascinating in the article that Aish did on you was the story of how you, your mom really um, – took to whatever you may have an interest in and in, in potentially thinking through what your future would look like. And, and I just thought, what a, what a wonderful gift that that was that your mom gave you. Let our listeners know, you know, uh, kind of how your mom played a role in helping you discover what, what you would end up actually uh, aiming uh, your life towards. Okay, yeah, no, it's a great story. Um, you know, I, in my high school years, w- w- liked math and science, and I, but I didn't really know how I was going to apply that. And I, now I had to try to apply to colleges and to apply within a major. And so every time that I would throw out some idea to my mom, maybe I'll be a doctor. She said, oh, let's invite a doctor for dinner, and he'll talk to you about it. <laughs> that's a good and that's what we did. We had like We had like <laughs> night after night, you know, week after week. She would just invite different professionals. And every single solitary one of them said, don't do it. The doctor came and said, don't be a doctor. And the architect came and he said, don't be an architect. And the only one that said, be an engineer, be an engineer, and I'll give you a job the minute you graduate. And, he, and in fact, he gave me a job in my second year. That was the job that I had at the, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory of NASA. Um, and that's the same guy, Ray Eskenazi, that, that also introduced me to Jewish philosophy. Um, but yeah, my mom was, my mom was always very supportive, not only with the, you know, trying to help me figure out my career choices, but, um, but also when I became more observant, so, you know, she, she didn't have a kosher kitchen and I said, no problem. I'll just buy myself one pot and I'll make my own pasta. You know, it took one pasta making and she said, this is ridiculous. I'll convert the kitchen to be kosher. Let's just move on. <laughs> and, uh, uh, gosh, it sounds uh, so to me yeah, like yeah. Ray yeah. Ray was a, a very key player in your life in those days and, and, and kind of tucked you under his wing and, and, and really invested in you. True. True, absolutely. What a blessing. What uh, a blessing that is. Yeah. And the fruit oh, that has come that from right. your life. Yeah. There's no yeah, there's no question that, you know, I mean he, 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 took, he invested many hours with me, you know, talking about, about Jewish philosophy. And he also invested many hours trying to teach me the engineering. You know, when you learn engineering in college, so you learn, 
you know, theoretical things. I remember the first day I came um, to JTL, so we plopped this handbook of uh, the Motorola 6808, which is like one of the first 8-bit processors, and he said, learn this. So I just read through this whole book, you know, and, and that's basically how I started doing um, programming of these, of these microprocessors. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> you know, you think about some of the people that, of course, my perspective is uh, that, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in coincidences. I, I believe that, that, you know, there's directive by God. But it's interesting, my friends who, who, who are real strong on coincidences, I just say, you know, it's kind of interesting because the, the more I pray, the more coincidences happen. <laughs> so anyway, um, call it what yeah. you will. But it, it appears to me that, you know, in your life, there has been some intersections where God has met you and directed you and provided for you and given you phenomenal open doors. And, and you've, you've endeavored to walk through those and, and your willingness to invest, uh, you know, in people's lives, whether those be coworkers or a couple who's getting married or or Torah classes or what whatever it is that you you seem to find so much joy and fulfillment in in sharing something that's going to better people's lives and 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 including you know the 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 tech side of things you know look at the betterment of what technology has done in our lives but that's what the way I would kind of describe uh the kind of person that you you seem to be Moise and 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 what a what a beautiful thing that is yeah, I would, you know, I would like to add to that. I mean, since you brought in this idea of technology, I mean, I definitely believe that our, our goal in humanity is what Judaism calls tikkun olam, to fix the world. We're here to make the world a better place. And I think that, that the spearhead of tikkun olam, of fixing the world, is technology. You know, science and technology has just ramped up in exponential forms. And, and, and I think that we're, we see that on a daily basis, how the lives of everybody has been improved by it. I, I often joke with my kids. I said, you know, we, we live like literally like kings, you know, f- to have the, the kind of communications that we have, the music yes. that plays, the, yes. the clothes that we wear, everything. It's all because of science and technology. And, um, you know, that's really, I think also what makes Israel a special place is because we are at the forefront of all of these science and technology. And so even though, you know, I believe that we are the people of the book and that, and that our, our main task is to try to bring a more ethical society to the world, we're supposed to be an example of an ethical society. We also have a long way to go with that. But part of this is also being or fixing the world and that we do that through all the technology that we're providing to the world. Yeah. That's great. Now, when you, Mois, uh, you know, obviously Mobileye was, uh, I could feel it was last year, bought by Intel. Uh, and that that gave you, uh, I guess, uh, maybe a freedom uh, that you hadn't had before. And you decided to, as I understand it, uh, do much more in the Torah realm. I wonder if you could just talk about that, your decision of uh, going in that direction, maybe less on the engineering. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's always been that I've been sort of dividing my time, you know, between Torah and, and technology, and uh, so now I've been trying to focus myself a little bit more on the Torah side, and so I've enrolled in this um, doctoral program of Jewish philosophy at Bar-Ilan University, and um, I'm working on a thesis, which is still in the tech realm, um, where I'm, we're trying to figure out, you know, the, 
the moral status of AI. There's a lot of there's a lot of moral questions with AI, with uh, artificial intelligence, and there's a lot of people that are that are questioning. I mean, we're not there yet, but there's a lot of people that are beginning to say, you know, so what? At what point do we start acting toward robots like people? And you know, if you if you Google um, when will IA be sentient? When will IA be conscious? You will get tons and tons of results. And I think this is a fascinating question, and it really, it's a, it's a very religious question, because at the end of the day, it's saying, who are we? When we ask, what is machine, we're really asking, what is man? And, and so this, this idea of, of trying to really see, you know, are we just machines? Are we just a bag of chemicals? Or are, is there something else going on? And so that's what I would like to try and show in my research that, I mean, ultimately I'm biased and, I, and I'm at the beginning of my research, so I really don't have, you know, an answer for you. But I believe that there's something special about man as opposed to any kind of machine that we're going to build. You know, it's, uh, this, is, this is fascinating conversation. And it's, it's been wonderful to have uh, Moise as our guest again this weekend. We're just about out of time, guys. I'm just wondering real real quick, uh, Moise, if people had an interest in uh, being able to contact you and ask you a few questions about the very topic we're talking about, how could they get a hold of you? Um, I mean, basically, you can go to my website, which is uh, divreinavon, D-I-V-R-E-I-N-A-V-O-N, um, dot com, and you can you can see my contact information there. My, the, the, the email is basically my name, M-O-I-S, dot n-a-v-o-n at divreynavon.com and i think we uh, can i'm have, happy to answer emails i think we can have that information on uh, the teacher and preacher.com as well if uh, any of our listeners okay. go there they can click on that and and harold will get that up but it's it's just been fascinating conversation and uh, wonderful to have you on board with us thank you so much for joining us these these thank you. Uh, past two yes, programs thank you, Harold, would you like My to uh, give our listeners a briefing on how they can contact us and maybe take us off the air? Yes, absolutely. You can contact us, obviously, the old-fashioned way by email, the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website and hear, uh, or listen to our broadcast there, teacherandthepreacher.com. You can check out our Facebook page, Teacher and Preacher on Facebook, and we have a daily fact of the day. Uh, where you often find news and perspectives you won't find anywhere else. I love that. I love that. You can also stand by us financially by just going to uh, our website as well. Click on the donate button. It's really painless. It's only money. So um, why don't you consider doing that? And uh, that what a blessing that will be to, to us. Right, Harold? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we appreciate the weekend listenership that we've got. And uh, until next weekend, may the God of Israel, who never slumbers and never sleeps, may this amazing God watch over Israel and the Jewish people, and may he watch over all of our listeners, and may the same God bless America. Amen. Amen. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom. Shalom.